Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Flown with Fina. I have a special guest with me on my podcast today. Former head coach at UCLA and St. John's, currently a college basketball analyst for Fox Sports and Pac-12 Network. As a coach, he led his team to eight NCAA tournaments, five Sweet 16s, and an Elite Eight. I have with me, and with great hair, Steve Lavin. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. What a great introduction. Yeah, of course. You have a great resume, so, you know, I just... I just had to put it out there. I'll hire you as my agent, give you some commission, and we'll work together, and then I'll be your agent. How's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, Lab, it's an exciting time of the year. Uh, college basketball is in full effect. The Final Four is coming up this weekend. And we have two great matchups, Loyola Chicago versus Michigan, and then Villanova versus Kansas. Let's talk about the Cinderella story, Loyola Chicago, um, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Do you think this team will match up well against Michigan? Well, I think for starters, what's so interesting about this story is how the Loyola Ramblers and their team chaplain, mm-hmm. uh, Sister Jean, who's 98 years old, uh, she's got the prayers, the rosary beads going, mm-hmm. and her, her authenticity and her quick wit and her intellect uh, has captivated not only college basketball fans, but I think uh, all people in our country and even world. Now, she's become this symbol uh, that really time and some of the negative headlines related to the investigations and some of the arrests of assistant coaches and the firing of a head coach like Rick Pitino. Mm-hmm. But to have this wonderful story of the, the Ramblers who haven't, you know, won a national in 1963, mm-hmm. uh, to, for them to go on this run. And their style of play is very deliberate. They're very patient. Uh, they're willing to work for a great shot. Even if the shot clock uh, expires and there's a violation, uh, they'll live with that. They're just not going to take bad shots. They're not going to take quick shots. And they're not going to turn the ball over. So teams don't get any runouts against Loyola. And that's mm-hmm. a big part of their success. And then additionally, uh, if you extend to try and take away their three-point shooting where they're so proficient, uh, they'll back cut you because uh, they move without the ball well, uh, whether it's curls or straight line cuts to the rim. And then if you guard that, then they knock down shots from the perimeter. And then they have a cohesive approach defensively as well. Yes. Porter Mosier mm-hmm. is really organized and, and, and position them well for success at both ends of the floor. So I think they match up well with the other three teams mm-hmm. in the final four. Ultimately, I give an edge to Michigan in this matchup because of Michigan's length and size, and they're a little stronger down low. Mm-hmm. Uh, particular Wagner is the, the kind of key hub of the wheel for Michigan's offense. And then Michigan has some guards. I think they're long enough, big enough to cause some problems uh, for Loyola in terms of their guards who are more diminutive trying to shoot over the top of uh, Michigan, I think could, could be an issue. And John Beeline's been uh, deep in the NCAA tournament before. Mm-hmm. He's an excellent coach, so I think his experience gives the Wolverines an edge, his steady stewardship. He's been to a Final Four, he's been to Elite Eights, uh, he's coached every level, starting high school as an educator, and then Erie Community College, and then Canisius, and Richmond, and Lemoyne College, and most what recently West 
Virginia and then this run in Michigan. So he's a master at the craft of coaching. And I give him an edge. Uh, Porter mm-hmm. Mosher's an outstanding coach. And what he's done this year is remarkable. But this is new territory for him. Exactly. So I give an edge to Michigan. Okay. Um, let's say you're the coach for Michigan. What would your approach be going into a game like this against Loyola Chicago? Who is it? You know, no one really knew who they were coming into the tournament. What, what's your approach? Well, the good news for Michigan is they already are a team that is solid defensively. It's the best defense if you look at the numbers that John Beeline has had during his mm-hmm. tenure at Michigan. Yeah. And offensively, they're also a patient team. You know, their whole you know success formula is ball movement, man movement, dribble handoffs, back cuts. Uh, you know, bringing out the bigs, inverting the guards. So they actually really play a similar approach to Loyola in terms of patience. Now, the Wolverines play a bit faster, and mm-hmm. uh, they'll run more, uh, especially off of, off of their you know stops or shutouts. They'll look to get runouts. Um, I think the toughest thing for Michigan is going to be the fact that other than their own fans, everyone's going to be rooting for Sister Jean. Yes. 98-year-old chaplain. <laughs> How could Loyola. you not? How and could you not? Exactly. Yeah. I said that this could be interesting. If Loyola does win the national championship, uh, I bet the Pope will probably be reaching out to not only the President of the United States, but the Pope from the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Maybe calling in that locker room uh, to talk to Porter Mosier and his Ramblers. And they might get an invite to the Vatican as well as the White House if they were to win the national title. So I like the fact that it's awakening the spirit mm-hmm. of um, you know Ignatius of Loyola, because his story is amazing in terms of, you know, late 1400s and into the 1500s, his influence on Catholicism. Uh, He kind of was a revolutionary, but he started as a person that was in the military, a soldier. Wow. And then he ended, yeah, he ended after his leg was mangled by a cannonball uh, when he was serving in the military. Uh, That's what kind of led him to Christ and led him to Catholicism and to kind of deepen his spiritual walk. And that's what led to him going to the Holy Land and then going to France and getting his master's and studying theology. And then eventually uh, he ended up, Friends of Jesus was a group that they created, and he went back the Pope's right hand and, and really had a to do with uh, kind of changing Catholicism uh, in the hundreds. So it's wonderful that Sister Jean, Loyola have kind of a, a wick or led to this inner awareness of his life, um, which was a fascinating one growing up in Spain and then ending uh, in Italy as, as someone that was uh, helping the Pope in the Vatican. Okay. Oh, wow. That, well, you actually know a lot about Loyola. So that, thank you for that. But um, now moving on to Villanova versus Kansas, you know, we have two winning programs and how how was this matchup? You know, because I done my research with these two teams, their guards are you know their their strength. You know, you have Villanova, you have Jalen Brunson, Bridges, and then you have Dante Divincenzo, and then on Kansas you have Devontae Graham, Mikhailu, and Newman. So how how do you? What are your thoughts on this matchup? Well, you're right. I mean, Devontae Graham. For Kansas, he's the catalyst that spearheads the Jayhawks' mm-hmm. attack. And what makes this Kansas team interesting is it's an example of a coach, uh, which we see 
with the best coaches. He has a, a flexible system and he's a flexible thinker. Mm-hmm. And that's what's allowed him to reinvent uh, with this particular version of the Jayhawks. They don't have the size, the strength, their defensive numbers are less impressive than years past. Their rebounding advantage yeah. uh, is very small. Uh, they've pretty much been equal on the boards all year. Mm-hmm. They lost three games early uh, at Allen Fieldhouse, which rarely happens mm-hmm. uh, when you look at the history of Kansas basketball. And uh, Coach Self reevaluated things. He decided they're going to have to play faster, attack the three-point line, and force teams to match up with the smaller lineups. Uh, you mentioned Malik Newman, who's playing the best basketball of his career. Yep. Mm-hmm. Devontae Graham, a first-team All-American. So I'm impressed with how they kind of morphed and found a way to offset their lack of traditional strength, uh, the fact they're not as strong defensively, but they've continued to win through accelerating the offense, pedal the metal, high-octane, the track meet, and attacking that three-point line with the guards. Villanova uh, is the number one offense in the country, 87 points per game. Mm-hmm. And Jay Wright's comfortable on his team playing slow, or fast, uh, then get in a methodical smash-mouth game and play at slower tempos. Or, if you want to run with them, they'll go up and down and put 100 points on you. They have an edge, in my mind, uh, because they have players who were part of a national championship still on this roster. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson, Phil Booth, uh, they were there in 016 when the Wildcats knocked out the Tar Heels. And I think Brunson, more than any other player, uh, has the ability to dominate, even though he's only 6'3". He's not someone that has blinding speed. I call him the lawnmower because he maneuvers at a steady pace, has a steady motor, stays low to the ground, cuts through defenders with his shifty uh, ability to change direction and change speeds uh, like a good lawnmower that can, you know, hug the ground and cut through, cut through the blades of grass. <laughs> and uh, do the job and the consistency like a John Deere lawnmower. Oh, John, yeah. Consistent and steady. You know, no matter the weather conditions, uh, you can count on him. Uh, That that motor starts up. So, and Jay Wright's using Jalen Brunson in interesting ways. He he clears half the court Mm -hmm. for him. Yep. Backs down opponents with that bounce. If you double team, he rifles precise surgical passers to teammates for the three ball. Or when teams are in rotation, they do a great job of lift fakes, shot fakes, head and shoulder fakes, and then driving it. And they put teams in foul-prone situations, which get them to the bonus or the double bonus. And then they end up shooting, you know, for the charity stripe to close out opponents. And we saw that this last weekend, Villanova got to the foul line mm-hmm. and won the game, basically, from the disparity between themselves and the teammates uh, at the free-throw line. So I give an edge in the entire Final Four to Villanova because of Jalen Brunson and the fact that Jay Wright, Brunson, and Phil Booth were there two years ago and cut down the nets, so they know. So they know, yep. Continuity, what it takes. But if Loyola wins it, because the force of the powers above may be in play here, mm. uh, that would be a pretty compelling story. Maybe one of the greatest in the history of sport if Loyola were to win the national title. So would you say you're right now? You're 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 favoring you're favoring um, Villanova. Yeah, my logic uh, tells me that Villanova should win. But there's something about this Loyola team and the way the world has kind of gotten behind, not just Chicago, not just college basketball, but there's a captive audience throughout the entire world right now, similar to what the Olympics will do or the World Cup. 
Sometimes there's some compelling story or team or an individual. And because of technology and the information age, the 24-hour news cycle, the entire world is watching, watching and yeah. for Loyola. Yeah, that's, you know, that's very true. And like in my opinion, I believe that Loyola Chicago is the most cohesive team within the Final Four. You know, not one person stands out. They all do their job, and they all do the right thing in the moment. So that's why I love watching Loyola. Um, You're right. Yeah. They're very cohesive, like musicians. They just they hit on all the right notes. They complement each other. Mm-hmm. They're making great music or jazz, right? Like jazz musicians, the yeah. parts start through the country. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a, a fan of jazz, but... Um, yeah, like, well, there's still time. You know. <laughs> That's good news. You're right. Yeah. All right, but you know, being a coach, you you've coached in games like these, like with the big stage, you know, with the season being on the line. How do you prepare your guys mentally in a big game like this, so they're not nervous, so they don't feel pressure? What do you? What is? What is your message to your players, and how do you prepare them? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, similar to I think good parenting. Uh, good mm-hmm. teaching, whether it's at the grammar school level, high school, college, or graduate level, good management of leadership, whether it's in government or it's in uh, business. Uh, I think staying open and being in tune to your team because each player is different and mm-hmm. unique and comes with a certain kind of makeup and a bearing or a temperament. Mm-hmm. And um, also, a group of players have a certain persona, identity and energy that's in play. And so I always felt as a coach, you know, getting to know each of your players in a way that would allow you to coach them better. So establishing rapport, establishing trust doesn't start in the final four. It starts with recruiting. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that some players aren't more of a challenge, more of a mystery uh, than others. Um, And sometimes you're successful in connecting and establishing rapport and trust. And sometimes you're not. It's just like any aspect of life. Mm -hmm. So, but I do think it helps when you get to this stage of the season. If you know your team well, then you've got a pulse of where they are, you know, in terms of their, their mental makeup and how they're feeling. Are they uptight? Are they too loose? And based on that, your read and feel. And they'll know within the first five minutes. I could feel it sometimes on the bus as we were going over to the arena. Sometimes I could feel it at the pregame meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'd pick up on certain vibes or energy during the pregame talk as to whether or not it was a group that was feeling the anxiety or uptight mm-hmm. or the pressure of the moment or whether they were too loose and I was concerned about complacency and mm. they weren't on point and that maybe they weren't taking this moment seriously enough and didn't realize that we could be beat if they don't lock in. And so there's a fine line and based off the feel, like a thermometer for the room, taking that temperature of where we were, both individually and collectively. Sometimes you got three or four kids that are locked in where you want them to be in terms of calibration, and then you have another three that aren't where you want them to be. And mm-hmm. What you want is everyone at the right place, at that peak performance level, but not uptight. And I think one of the challenges for a first-time coach when you get deeper in the NCAA tournament or a rookie coach or an inexperienced coach is trying to do too much. Uh And uh, there's an old coach named Pete Newell. He's saying the haze in the barn, keep it simple. You want your guys fresh mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, overdo it with the film, with walkthroughs, with scouting reports, because now they're burning that fuel that they're going to need both emotionally and physically to be on point when the ball is tipped up. And it's a long season, so we're at the final stages of the year, 
And if you're not careful with how you manage your team's fuel, mm-hmm. uh, then they're not going to be where they need to be uh, in terms of at competitive greatness level uh, to, to be at their best when their best is needed uh, if their fuel is not you know, at full capacity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why a lot of smart coaches, as they go along their career, they do less. You, know, you yeah. don't need uh, to overdo it in any aspect on the court or in the film study school sessions, or in the scouting reports, or in the walkthroughs. And uh, so I think simplicity is is really key. Okay. Yeah, no, that's very true, because, um, you know, I can relate. Being in the, making it to the NCAA tournament with my team, Coach Flowers, you know, your former player, he did ease up on film and stuff like that and shoot around, so I can attest to that. Um, all right, you know, to wrap things up, you know, my last question, I have to ask... Um, you know, what's going on with the pack with the West Coast teams? You know, I know you work with the Pac-12. You know, what would you say is going on with West Coast teams? Well, you know, the Pac-12 had a subpar year. It's no secret. It's been well chronicled. Only three teams made the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Those three all went out in their first games. But the good news is if you look at things from a historical or bigger picture perspective, mm-hmm. uh, just, just like our economy, whether it's Wall Street or real estate, uh, there's an ebb and a flow. Uh, there's going to be times where it's cyclical and you're not performing at the level you prefer, just like all of us in our own lives. We have good days and bad days. We fall from grace. We hopefully learn. You move forward. And so the conference had a subpar year, but they have all the key elements that it takes to get back to greatness uh, mm-hmm. in terms of 12 great schools. Uh, good coaches, good facilities, great fan bases, tremendous media markets, uh, tremendous academic pedigree in terms of the reputation of the universities in the Pac-12. So they'll correct themselves, just like the ACC some years only gets two teams, or the Big Ten this year had a subpar year as well. Only uh, Michigan was able to punch through and have success. Uh, the other three teams that made the tournament got knocked out. Michigan State lost in the second round, even though they were considered to be a national championship candidate. Purdue went out in the second round, and Ohio State got pumped out as well um, in the first weekend. So uh, they'll be back, but this was mm-hmm. a tough year because mm-hmm. of what happened out of the FBI investigation. Yep. USC and, and Arizona uh, went through a lot of distractions off the court. They weren't at full strength. And then you've also got the situation with UCLA, the suspended players from shoplifting in China. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in Oregon was in a rebuild year. They lost six of their first seven scores from last year's Final Four team. Uh, but the league is strong enough uh, to be to be back on top. Uh, but it takes time, and this is a cyclical thing. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, that's all. I just needed your input on the West Coast teams because we haven't gotten any love these, you know, this year especially. But, uh, but Lab, thank you so much for your time. I, I truly appreciate it. You know, you're... Thank you. Oh, it's my thank, honor. Oh, thank you so much. Your input means a lot to me. Um, but, yeah, I hope you have a great time in San Antonio at the Final Four. And we'll definitely talk soon. Okay, you're a superstar. Just oh. remember me when you make it. Oh, get, get the kickback. Get oh. Coach Lab. <laughs> All right, Lab. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.